What's going on, world? This is James Grandmaster Facts Voice, and you are now tuned into another episode of the Facts Project. Today, I know it's been a little bit of a hiatus. I haven't kept you up to date. But today, I am going to be reviewing What If Episode 5 and 6. Uh, to get right into it, I wasn't too keen on Episode 5. And for those of you that have not seen that episode, that is the Marvel Zombies episode. Of course, in an alternate universe, when it was first uh, appeared in the trailer, you kind of kind of sought out the fact that it was like, oh, okay, they're doing Marvel Zombies. Marvel Zombies was a very long run comic book issue. So I kind of knew within this half hour, 25 minute, 20 minute frame that this was going to be extremely fucking hard to do. So they kind of correlated the whole term of doing Marvel Zombies out of the current roster or, or, or the roster that they put at play within the MCU. It's kind of hard to do Marvel Zombies without the X-Men present, without Magneto, because he's the main, one of the main protagonists in the entire series from the origin of it. But to cut right to it, it starts from Banner getting shifted through the Bifrost and landing in the Sanctum Santorum and ultimately telling, he's supposed to tell Dr. Strange and Wong that Thanos is coming, but yet nobody's at the Sanctum Santorum. And it's, it's very, it's, it's weird sometimes because when you look at it, <laughs> Mark Ruffalo, I mean, I, I'm, I really love to give the man credit as, as Hulk, as Bruce Banner. But sometimes I swear, I mean, it just seems off. Do you miss Edward Norton? Because sometimes I do. I mean, I know they basically downgraded the character as much as possible, but I guess it was, it was plot armor. Within Infinity War, within Endgame. But yet, it seems like every time I see Mark Ruffalo on screen, when he is the Hulk, it seems campy. It seems forced. It just does not seem like Bruce Banner. It does not seem like someone that is struggling internally with the personality of the Hulk. And yet, you know. He's running outside. He's doing he's basically doing the scene where he's trying to rile the Hulk up to where he comes out because, uh, of course, the Black Order has arrived on Earth. Ebony Maul, of course, is doing his little spiel and everything. And Bruce Banner is trying to get the Hulk to, of course, pop out because there is no Wong. There's no there's no Tony. There's no, there's no Dr. Strange there to help him. It's pretty much just him. But then behind Ebony Mall is a portal that opens up. So you kind of figure Strange is going to be in on this one, but it ends up being a photon blast from Iron Man's hand. Blowing it, blowing the back of Ebony Mall's head in. Doesn't kill him right away. You know, it's pretty much just a blast. But then you see like silhouettes of Dr. Strange, Wong and Iron Man come out and annihilate the crew. But yet 
as Banner pointed out, a little bit of overkill. And then when Tony Stark ultimately reveals himself, he's a zombie. Better yet, he's a zombie. So is Wong. So is Doctor Strange, now Ebony Maul. And um, I'm, I'm about to call him uh, Black Giant, but the, uh, the, the other uh, member of the Black Order. But yet, even in this context, we're, we're looking at it. And the first person to arrive to help Bruce Banner is Hope Fan Dine. And it's more so played into the fact that Banner's about to get attacked. Uh, Doctor Strange's cloak is helping him, Hope Van Dyne, and an assortment of, I guess, flying wasps, flying ants, who knows? But ultimately uh, turns the remaining zombies into like skeletal creatures because they come through like the Night of the Lotus and just tear shit apart. And then ultimately in the end of that, you know, we come to realize that there's more at play to this. But the storyline, of course, just gets weirder from there because now Uatu has to basically give you the play-by-play of exactly what's happening. So, you know, we kind of got a little bit a taste of what Uatu could do if well not even like he was like showcasing his powers but he revealed himself to one of the characters being Doctor Strange in episode 4 but yet in this he's given a play by play of exactly how the zombies came to be and it's pretty much a quantum disease so Hank Pym went into the quantum realm to go find Janet Van Dyne. And when he found her, she had contracted a quantum disease, which converted her into what you see now and what everybody else is, a zombie. Comes back through the quantum realm because it seems like these zombies ain't no regular as zombies. They are cognizant of where they're going. They, they know and utilize their powers well. So as soon as Hank Pym opens up the hatch, tries to jump at Hope Van Dyne, ends up landing on Scott Lang, and cuts out. Hope Van Dyne escaped. And it's kind of like, okay, here we are. But the, the one thing I will say about this episode is that it utilized a lot of characters because ultimately you realize um, Hank Pym and more than likely, well, not Scott Lang, but Hank Pym had pretty much, from him returning, spread this virus through the Pacific Northwest within 24 hours. So within that time, the Avengers arrived, Captain America arrived, Black Panther, Hawkeye, uh, Falcon, and in the end, got torn apart. Oh, and Iron Man, they got torn apart immediately. So that takes them out of the frame. So most of the characters at play are most of the people that we would see in supporting roles. Sharon Carter. Um, Bucky. Uh, is, let's see. Um, happy, happy. 
Happy had probably like the longest run <laughs> as far as like uh, doing doing any type of action sequences than I've ever seen. And yet, even after that, so what what it comes to be is that Spider Man uh, takes Banner and ultimately leads him to the group and, and the pairing in which that is left because the Avengers are pretty much cropped as shit. So it's like, like I told you, Sharon Carter, Bucky, Okoye, who's also on the crew, Happy, and then them two, and Hope. They have to, I guess, pretty much hatch this plan in order to get to Camp Lehigh because it seems like there's something stationary from what the virus is holding outside of there, but they have to get there, right? So they take Solace underground train station. Yeah, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle style. So they're downstairs, down in the sewer, you know, pretty much trying to get the subway started. And, uh, you know, this is New York, so no. Trains from New York do go to New Jersey. Camp Lehigh is in New Jersey. So geographically, they can do this shit. This is not no one-off or anything like they had to go cross-country or anything like that. But once, once Banner's there, uh, they're trying to basically like conjure up this, uh, this plan. They're all talking about how the virus has affected them in this little bit of time frame. And no, everything in this episode is going by supremely fast uh they get attacked in the subway by falcon and um i believe hawkeye and a, a gang of other zombies who pretty much set them on a path to hop on this train a lot of things happen from here happy gets taken out super early you know he he all he has is one of Iron Man's photons on his hands. One. And he's making the fucking sound as he's shooting it. Blam, blam. Blam, blam, blam. Like, <laughs> shit, that shit was corny to me. But inevitably, they, they make it onto the train. Um, Falcon attacks Bucky and gets sliced in half by a Koye. I'm so glad that the Dora Milaje get their due of being such badasses. They were in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. They are still in this series, and I'm sure they're going to be, once we get to, like, Black Panther 2 and so on and so forth, because they are fucking amazing. I'm so glad that they get the shine that they do. So they get on this train, and they're ultimately met by a zombie Captain America, who meets Sharon Carter, takes her out. Bucky's got to pretty much do his thing. Steve, and, and in classic form, Steve throws the shield. Guess what Bucky does? He catches it, throws it back at him, cuts Steve in half. Sharon got turned, and in the effects of her getting turned, uh, Hope flew into her mouth and blew her up from the inside out. But she got cut in the instance. So, like, Train to Busan, because I swear this was some, like, Train to Busan uh, reference and everything like that. So, she got cut, and she didn't have that long to live. 
look, if you ha- if you've never seen Train to Busan, is a fucking classic movie. And and for those of you that don't like to read subtitles or hate foreign films, fuck you. You're, you're missing out on some beautiful shit. <laughs> but inevitably, you know, they they feel as though their only hope is to get to Camp Lehigh. And while Hope is sitting there, basically, she doesn't have that much time left. She's cut. Um, she pretty much conjures up the plan to where the only way to get into Camp Lehigh, she'll hit a pin particle, she'll get big, like super big, and carry them over the wall. But what they failed to realize is that all the zombies that are that have been that close as the train stalled and they had to take that walk is that all the zombies have stalled at the fence. They're not climbing the fence. They're not doing anything. It's pretty much like they're under some type of like protective hypnosis. But inevitably, when they get on the inside over in Camp Lehigh, I think Bucky was like one of the first people in there and came to find out that he saw T'Challa in there with one leg. So, and also Scott Lang is also inside of this building with just a head. So it's, he's, he's pretty much uh, a zombie from uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. It's just a head, a talking head. That's all he is. And to see it from this kind of, kind of standpoint, it's like, okay, they're alive, but how? So then we get to meet our antagonist. And our antagonist is none other than Vision. So the android has now turned into, and not that like his chip got malfunctioned or anything like that. He's pretty much, uh, he's pretty much, He's he went rogue. And why did he go rogue? Because Wanda, of all people, God, man, if the, how many scenarios can we get into where Wanda, the love of his life, he'll do anything for. Because what he's been doing is feeding Wanda body parts. Scott Lang from probably neck on down and T'Challa's leg within this time frame to keep her fed. Oh, I totally, I totally forgot that a homie from a homie from Ant-Man is also in this. The one that always yells uh, that tells the story of the Baba Yaga, because as soon as he saw Scarlet Witch, when she popped out, he said that shit. (laughs) And now that shit makes sense. That spooky ass witch. But inevitably, Vision has pretty much put this together where if I feed Wanda, I can keep her stable. And he's feeding him, feeding her his friends. T'Challa said he got picked up by Vision when they were on the bridge when they got attacked. And it turns out this motherfucker was ordering takeout. Mm. So. Lo and behold, Wanda gets loose. And the sequence of events that starts to happen where they escape. 
lose a Koye in the meantime, lose a homie from Ant-Man. I believe his name, he might be Theodore or some shit like that. But they lose him. They lose uh, Okoye. They get on the outside into a, a hangar because there's a Quinjet for them to take off. Banner uh, stays behind. Spider-Man, uh, Black Panther, and the head of Scott Lang get in the jet. Banner has found a way to turn into the Hulk. And it chooses to fight Scarlet Witch on her own terms. And pretty much gets left. The, the Quinjet takes off. While it's taking off, Hope's gigantic zombie ass stands up and grabs the jet, trying to withhold it from, from going anywhere. It relin relinquishes, relinquishes it from its grasp, but leaves Bruce Banner behind, squaring up with Scarlet Witch one-on-one. And I'm, I was actually kind of curious as to how that went, but they just started getting into the battle. And all while that's happening, everybody pretty much escaped. Like I said, this was kind of like my least favorite episode, because after that, that was the end of the episode. And it was like, eh, OK, this is OK. I'm sure that they could do better. But further on, let's get into episode six. Because episode six was fucking interesting. So let me give you let me give you the hypothesis. Because the, it is the what if. What if Killmonger's plan came to fruition? What if it did? So the what if was titled, what if Killmonger rescued Tony Stark? And it all starts with uh, Tony in Afghanistan driving in a Humvee with a couple of U.S. soldiers uh, until a missile strike starts to happen. And while most of the soldiers are getting shot and he hides behind the car just exactly like he did in the first Iron Man, and inevitably sees the Stark uh, missile get stuck in the rocks. Killmonger pops up, takes the missile, throws it away, taking out everybody, uh, pretty much I'm guessing Afghan soldiers as they're, as they're plugging away, trying to get to Tony. What, more so what happened in Iron Man 1. In the means of this happening, it's uh, Killmonger getting brought back to the United States and put on a pedestal as a national hero. But in the means of being the national hero, Tony takes a liking to him and makes him the COO of Stark Industries. He feels like he might have needed someone with military tactics and strategy. Note, this was the, uh, I believe this was the position that Happy more so wanted, or uh, Happy ended up getting, I believe, at the, in the first or the second Iron Man. So, ultimately, as soon as that happens, you know, there's this descent from Tony and Pepper, Tony and Happy. They feel as though 
just this one act of heroism has caused Tony's mind to get skewed. Because furthermore, down the story, you come to find out that, um, and they, they tease the arc reactor because Tony's not going to become an Iron Man. But yet, you know, he becomes probably like the most terrifying person on the planet because he does run Stark Industries. He's still smart as shit, and he's got uh, defense contracts with the United States government. But with Killmonger at his disposal, he's now making drones. He made drones before, and these are like mech drones and everything like that, something that Killmonger had put together and in a blueprint and now tony is putting these you know these models together for killmonger but they're not they're not finding out a way for them to sustain any type of sufficient you know run so killmonger lends him the one thing that probably tony hasn't had and it was that vibranium ring ring that um the doctor gave to him his father so Najaka basically gave him a, a ring, if you remember from Black Panther. That ring tends to be like the key in all this. Because ultimately, this was the Kickstarter in Killmonger's plan. When they tell them how to obtain more vibranium. Now, no, Wakanda hasn't been found. But they know about Ulysses Claw as being a vibranium uh, runner, uh, probably trading on the black market. And in a means to take him out, utilizing uh, Colonel Rhodes, not, not in a war machine suit, uh, war machine suit, because you got to understand that he is not, he's not a war machine. That, that no Mark threes, Mark fours, none of those type of uh, type of armored human suits exist. So Rhodey's going in there straight in fatigues. And all the while, I think Killmonger just knew exactly how this was going to go down. So, of course, out of nowhere, Prince of Wakanda T'Challa pops into the scene and it seems like Killmonger was just waiting in the wings to where we're looking at it he hits him with a sonic blast enough to stun him and Rhodey at the same time when he stuns T'Challa he inevitably takes T'Challa out the talk that he had with Rhodey basically put together exactly the plan. It, it sounded like exactly what he wanted to do when he was in Wakanda. It was like, if we don't utilize the resources of Wakanda as to what they're doing to, to black folk right there in America, he doesn't necessarily say it in the episode, but you kind of just like, you go back to that episode, uh, go back to the movie a lot and be like, okay, that's exactly what he meant. So he kind of ridicules Rhodey for wearing uh, 
wearing basically the military suit of the United States military. Of course, he, he he's in the Air Force. Rips the American flag off him and basically puts a knife to his chest. So he took out T'Challa and James Rhodes in one hit. Tony gets a little bit skewed because, of course, with Rhodey and T'Challa dead and for Killmonger to be the only person alive in this mission, something has to be up, right? Ulysses had popped out at the end of uh, the deaths of T'Challa and, and Rhodey, and basically it's like they, they were already a cohesive unit putting this together. But Tony had kind of figured it out which we kind of figured anyway, because he's a smart guy and chose to enable the drone to attack Killmonger. He utilized Killmonger's moves and added them to the programming of the drone. So T'Challa, I mean, damn, I'm calling T'Challa. So Killmonger basically found out a way to freestyle in order to, de to defeat this mech drone. Utilizing a spear from the door of Malaje, which is also made out of Iranium. And it was the only way to cut it down. And after he did, he took that spear and chucked it right into Tony's like chest and, and, and shoulder. Had a little bit of conversation like they do, like the bad guys do. He was like, of all the people that, all the people, all the marks that I've had on my body, you know, didn't really want you to be a, be one of these. And then he inevitably takes Tony out. So now Happy and Pepper, of course, have gotten suspicious. But yet, the fact that a vibranium spear was used, the fact that, you know, all this, all this talk of Wakanda has pretty much put the curiosity into motion of a final showdown in Wakanda. So when Killmonger is finally back out there, and of course he meets up with Ulysses Claw, and you, just, just like Black Panther, Ulysses Claw did, uh, fell for the okie doke, and he ultimately gets capped. He gets dragged to Wakanda because he's been the ultimate enemy of Wakanda, stealing vibranium by the boatloads. And is dragging Ulysses Claw into Wakanda, where he meets King T'Chaka, who is now living. Queen Ramonda, who is now the like almost like the honor guard of the Dora Milaje. And little Shuri. And because of the lineage and the family lineage that he has. Uh, with his father, uh, Najaka, and pretty much talks his way into the planning of a, those mech drones being duplicated and now on their way to Wakanda as we speak. But he hatched his plan from jump and pretty much like goes through the run through to where he's looking at it and is saying, okay, if we do this and get rid of, you know, if we get rid of these mechs, then you probably won't have these problems again. And Wakanda will just 
you know, will reign supreme. So General Thaddeus Ross is the person conducting the missions, bringing all these drones forth into some type of military lineup and everything like that so that they can cross into into a force field, that little like mirage that you see when you walk in, walking in there in order to uh, go after Wakanda, not even knowing that Killmonger's there. So it's more so they're going in there to, I guess, in, in some type of active diplomacy because they're trying to figure out. So they're not investigating anything. It's more so let's provide ourselves with an invasion. All while this is happening, uh, Ramonda and Adora Milaje have pretty much garnered arms. Killmonger is pretty much like waiting in the wings, seeing how the battle's going to go down. Um, he pretty much, uh, he, he had a fail-safe plan. So he told Shuri and the rest of the gang that basically when they crossed the threshold, that all the mechs were going to power down. And they did, but he had a backup transmitter to turn them all back on and basically blame the whole shit on Tony Stark. Sees uh, the entire dorm Elijah in trouble. Okoye and Ramonda are out there fighting the entire time. And it, it pretty much leads to uh, Killmonger coming to the rescue because uh, at that point, I'm not saying they were being annihilated, but they were being downed by a lot. So he hops on one of, one of the armed rhinos, gets out there, knocks, knocks down a bunch of mechs, and then pretty much um, takes out tons with Ramonda and Okoye by his side. And inevitably, it just leads to the finalization of his plan. Now he's got Wakanda at his disposal. All the arms, all the vibranium, all the technology, that he wants is at his disposal. And it seems like for the most part, if he wanted to, he could get away with it because now it's, it's all in his hands. But when we get back to get back stateside, you know, Pepper finding everything out. Why? Because little Shuri was on the Killmonger from jump and is showcasing exactly how he did it and that's where the episode ends but it was dope to actually like see the planning for that for that episode like it's it, it wasn't a what if killmonger rescued tony stark and no tony stark dying in all these episodes of what if if you remember from episode four of uh doctor the doctor strange episode the absolute point where where Christine was dying every time and she kind of had to die in order for him to be Sorcerer Supreme. So it seems like with, within these what-ifs, Tony Stark just pretty much has to die in all these episodes. Uh, he died in the Nick Fury episode. He was a zombie in episode five. He's pretty much dead in episode six. So all these continued deaths of Tony Stark have to happen. But I totally dug this episode i thought this one was extremely well written because we kind of like after seeing black panther we were like what if this plan went you know what if it actually like completed and how would it look if it actually did happen 
I guess we'll we'll see because uh as of now the, I believe we're going to be hitting like the mid-season finale uh, mid-season it wasn't a mid-season finale I'm sorry it was just a mid-season trailer that was shown which kind of like told us that maybe there's going to be like four or five more episodes of this but we got Thor next week all right so um thank everybody for joining me um this is James Grandmaster Facts Boyce and we are out.